Welcome to another episode of Podverb. In this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest who will be helping us to answer an audience question. So before we get into the question, welcome Dr. Ben Clausen. Please may you introduce yourself to our listeners. It's a pleasure to be with you today. My name is Ben Clausen. I am a um, physicist and geologist. My PhD is in nuclear physics, and I did research in that area for about 15 years. During the last 15 years, I've been studying granitic rocks in uh, the United States, California, as well as in Peru and in other places. Uh, I work at the Geoscience Research Institute at Loma Linda University in Southern California, and I'm very interested in science and religion issues, how we can understand God, uh, both as the Bible talks about, as well as uh, as we study God's creation and what it says about God um, as we study the world around us. Thank you very much. You know, it's, it's been a, a pleasure having you on board, and I think we'll probably have many more episodes in the future, but let's not get to, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You have an interesting uh, history. I work at Solusi University in Zimbabwe, and I know at some point in your career, you spent some time at Solusi. Would you mind telling the audience about your time here in Zimbabwe? I spent a very happy year uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, 1974, 1975. Um, I taught at what was then Solusi College. Uh, for several months in the primary school, and then for about eight months in the secondary school. Um, I taught uh, a class in mathematics, one in physics, one was a religion type of class. And I also enjoyed afternoons uh, working out in the field, um, digging ditches, um, clearing land for cultivation. And I had a group of about a, a dozen boys that I worked with there. It was a very productive year, and I'm very pleased that I was able to visit back in Zimbabwe um, about five years ago. Actually, over the last 30 years, I visited Africa about a dozen times, different parts of Africa. So Africa is very special to me. I've done a little bit of research there as well, um, especially in Zambia. So um, it's very nice to be uh, talking to you there in in southern africa that's that's great and I, I think that was the first time that we met when you were here five years ago and of course we've we've met many times after that in other places but uh that's that's an interesting bit of history that connects us together you know in more ways than one we have one of our listeners who wrote to us her name is marilyn thank you marilyn if you're listening she asked this question as a teacher in a circular school how best can I tackle the issue of origins? What are your thoughts as you hear that question, Dr. Ben? Probably the first thing that comes to mind is that science, as we know it today, modern science, actually developed within a Judeo-Christian framework in Western Europe. And many of the founding fathers of science were uh, Christians. They were studying nature as God's handiwork. 
And the basis for modern, for modern science is the Judeo-Christian picture of God. And I give a lecture on that where I point out some of these features, and I'll just mention several of them. Uh, first of all, the God of the Bible is a personal God. Um, unlike um, uh, some other naturalistic religions that worship nature. And because the God of the Bible is separate from nature, um, one can study nature without um, fear of upsetting the nature gods, for example. A second reason is the God of the Bible is a God of law and order. So we would expect his creation to also be lawful and follow order. And we would expect it to follow cause and effect. So as we see effects in nature, we can trace those back to the causes. So that's a fundamental principle of science, but it's based on the concept of God being God of law and order. One other that I will mention is that the God of the Bible created a good creation. The first couple chapters of Genesis say that God created and then he pronounced it good. So if the creation is good, it's worthy of our study. And this is in contrast to the Greek view, where it's the ideas that are perfect, but um, the natural world itself is only a dim and poor reflection of those perfect ideas. So the Greeks were less likely to experiment in nature. They were more likely to be philosophers. But modern science is not based just on ideas. It's based on actually studying, experimenting on the natural world around us to see how it really works and how God made a good creation. So as we study origins issues, I think it's helpful to realize that God is the originator of the creation um, that science is studying. You know, that's, that's quite interesting because for most teachers today, as they go through their training, I want to believe that they are, they are taught to believe that science, you know, just originated from a naturalistic um, worldview without any links with Christianity. And what you're saying is quite interesting because you're linking modern science to Judeo-Christian uh, Judeo uh, views of origins because I want to believe that most of the scientists who were there in, in the historical times espoused those views. Um, the idea that God created in six days, the idea that um, everything that we see has been continuing from that time when God created, the different kinds that God created at the time, as well as whatever other things that were created. You, you're a geologist and a physicist, so I would assume that those who were studying physics and geology were also studying those areas with the mindset that the things that we're studying here came from a creator. When I was studying uh, science in college, I had no idea that the people I was studying about were Christians. For example, in physics, one of the founding fathers of physics was Sir Isaac Newton. And so I studied his um, laws when I was studying general physics. Uh, but I had no idea that Newton actually wrote more about theology and religion than he did about physics. 
He wrote about the ancient kingdoms in the Old Testament. Um, He wrote about prophecy. What we're familiar with is his science, where he studied gravity and he studied optics, but he also uh, wrote a lot about religion as well. So that, that's just one of many examples of the founding fathers of science being um, coming from a Christian background. And those are things that will not really be highlighted in the popular textbooks. So indeed, when, when teachers like Marilyn are taught, I'm sure they are taught in a way that excludes such, um, such information. So if if she is to adjust her curriculum, maybe, to include such a historical picture, it could help the students to reorient so they see that, wait, science is actually not opposed to the Bible, but it actually has some links to um, Bible to, to the Bible, I mean, through the Judeo-Christian roots of modern science, right? Exactly. And... I would encourage people as they discuss science and religion to see it not as a conflict, but as a cooperation between the two. And unfortunately, it's often seen as a conflict, which is not necessary. As I work with scientists, both my physics colleagues and my geology colleagues, I have found that almost all are very respectful of my beliefs as a Christian. Um, They don't happen to believe the same way, but they are very willing to accept that different people can approach things from different philosophical perspectives. And so as I talk about these issues, I would like to emphasize that we can cooperate and we need to treat other people with different views uh, respectfully that is that is very wise indeed and you know it always make makes friends and like you're saying you're able to cooperate with the others especially in a in a setup where people are teaching if others do not believe in um, intelligent design or in god as the creator it will not be helpful to go with an attitude that is arrogant or to try and look down on them because they believe differently, it actually would hurt you more than it would help you. That, that is exactly right. Um, actually, I have a geology colleague. The two of us put together a letter to send to a geology website. And he and I were very respectful of, of each other in this letter that we jointly sent. And he said, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, but yet we're able to work together. We're good friends. We trust and respect each other. We're doing great science funded in part from church sources. He says his life has been enriched by the kind and thoughtful people in my church. And he notes that I have become a portal into my church community about science and faith. And then he comments, together we communicating communicate using the two-book approach, where we study both God's first book of the Bible as well as God's second book of nature. And... Um, that's just an example of where even a person who is an atheist is anxious to work with a Christian and learn from the Christian perspective. 
No, that, 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 is, that is quite great. And thank you for sharing that testimony. I'm sure it'll encourage many others who are out there. Um, what are your thoughts on a situation where a teacher or any other educator in a higher ed or in um, the lower levels faces some pushback from their colleagues because they choose to include in their curriculum the ideas that we speak about in this pod, in this podcast, um, pod verb, we speak about creation and um, intelligent design and so on. What if they face some pushback? What can they do? Do you have any ideas that you might share with our listeners that could be helpful for them? Different countries have different rules about what can be taught in the public school system. I believe that in the United States, it is rather difficult to discuss religious topics in science classes. I I am not sure that that is specifically allowed. Now, in Zimbabwe or in other countries, it may be more possible to do that. I do know that one of the important features is as as you do science, make sure that you're doing good science and not using poor scientific arguments. Sometimes creationists have become known for using poor scientific arguments, and it's important that we do not do that. And as I do my research, I found it important to have some guidelines in how I do the research. So for example, our church leadership is anxious for us to do good scientific research, especially at the Geoscience Research Institute. And so as I do my geology research, uh, some of the guidelines I use are to work toward a constructive big picture model rather than attacking scattered features in existing models. And I say we aim to learn not to alienate others and look at all the data. Another guideline that I use is do the research to test models against the data from nature and claim from the data only what it can support. And finally, one other guideline that I have is to work within mainstream science to study the processes governed by natural laws. So don't work as separate from mainstream science, but work within the scientific uh, framework. And so I and my group of geology researchers are publishing in the scientific community. We work at scientific labs, the standard scientific labs funded by the National Science Foundation here in the United States. So as you discuss this within the school setting, I would encourage teachers to make sure that they're doing good science, using good scientific arguments. Uh, and working with science in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. Yes, I think, I think that is very helpful. I remember back in um, college, one of my professors was a believer. We actually went to the, we actually attended the same church, and he was teaching us genetics and evolution. So he taught it looking at all the scientific arguments, and he also presented you know, as an alternative approach, an alternative explanation, the things that he believed 
intelligent design, and so on. It was all packaged as part of the course so that people can be able to weigh the different um, positions, you know, and look at them, you know, critically through a scientific lens. And the students were left to make their own judgments. He did not make the final call for anyone, but he allowed everyone to make their final call. And I thought it was quite interesting, you know, we do not have the restrictions that you mentioned that are present in the United States. In our country, most people, I think they still are in the valley. You know, when we don't really have that much uh, pushback against believing in a creation uh-huh. because most people, the majority of the population, report as Christians. So in church, I'm sure they are taught about the creation event. Though, of course, they also are taught about evolution. So when I speak to people on the streets and I speak to my students in my own classes, I do find that there's this element of confusion. Yeah, they know there's evolution. They know there's a creation, but they're not really sure how to approach both. And since most of them are not scientists, they don't really care about them. They just say, yeah, there's the, they, they have this passing acknowledgement of these two things. They don't really... They don't really, you know, embrace either one of the two. So there's some level of um, leverage that lecturers can use as they teach. And that's what my professor did. That's an excellent opportunity then. So I think that that just about sums up our podcast. I don't know if you have any other comments that you might have before we close this off. I guess my final comment is to recognize our human limitations as we study. And I, as a scientist, am very impressed with what science can do, both in the area of physics and in geology. But at the same time, I find it very important to recognize how limited I, as a human being, am and how limited the scientific community is. And one of the verses in the Bible that especially emphasizes that is in Isaiah 55, where God says, my ways are so much higher than your ways. And also in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, we know only in part, and even that knowledge will vanish away. And so I am impressed with what science can do but I'm, I also find it very important to recognize my limitations, that there's so much more beyond what we know that we don't know. So to recognize how great God is and how small we are as human beings. I think that's a powerful closing remark. Thank you very much for spending the time with us. And we look forward to having you in future episodes. I'm sure There'll be plenty of opportunity for us to discuss things that are directly in your area so that you can share with our listeners the wonderful things that you are doing in uh, South America, Africa, and in other parts of the United States and North America. Thank you very much. And um, we look forward to interacting with you again in the near future. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad we could talk. So that is it. That has been another installment of Podverb. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please may you do us a favor by going to visit your favorite podcast app 
and leaving a rating and a review. Let others know that you enjoyed listening to this podcast. When you do so, it will tell the algorithms of the different platforms that Podverb is a podcast worth listening to. If you would like to send in your own questions, you can do so by recording a voice note at speakpipe.com slash podverb. That is S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash podverb. If you would prefer to write to us, you can do so by sending an email to podcast at podverb.com. That is podcast at podverb.com. If you would like to support the show financially, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash podverb. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash podverb. Patreon is a way to financially support the creators that you love so that they can continue creating the content that you enjoy to consume. And if you cannot afford to support us financially, we would gratefully accept your prayers because that really helps us to keep going on. Until next time, be blessed.